Thanks to Harry's for supporting Market Foolery, Harry's stands behind the quality of their blades, but they know that switching razors isn't an easy decision, so they created a trial offer. Claim yours by going to harrys.com fool. It's Thursday, July 19th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Matt Greer, and joining me in studio, we have Motley Fool analysts David Kretzman and Jason Moser. Guys, welcome. hey How you doing? Doing great. Absolutely. Ready to wrap up the week here. Yeah. You know, I'm going to go pick up, we're going to go pick up our daughters from camp on Saturday. They've been gone for three weeks straight. Oh my gosh. It's like and a preview to, to the college years, I think. And, and how has that been for the kids and how has that been for you and your wife? So the kids have had a blast. I just spoke with them last night. And it was funny, my wife and I sort of made this point to each other that we had never had this long of a stretch together sans kids for ever since they've been born. And it's been, you know, wonderful to to reconnect and do things together and whatnot. But we just thought, hey, you know, we even know after 20 years we're still not killing each other. I think we're in it for the long haul. So it's all working out well. That's good. <laughs> yeah. It's a win-win. That's a, that's an earnings beat. That is, is what I call that. That is beating expectations and raising guidance. Okay. Well, we're going to talk about some companies that did not necessarily <laughs> do that on today's show. We're going to talk some American Express, eBay, and. Guys, you're going to share a few stock pitches that you gave to our board of directors yesterday. But let's start with pizza. Who doesn't love pizza? And a rare earnings miss from Domino's. Now, Domino's has been a monster stock over the years, shares up 300% over the last five years and 2,500% over the last 10 years. But David, shares falling a bit today on disappointing revenue and lower than expected same store sales growth. Now, now they actually beat on the earnings front, but those other numbers weighing the stock down. Yeah, I, I think this is just a case where you have a company that has really high expectations, but the, the underlying performance of the company is still undeniably very strong, especially in the context not only of other pizza restaurants or chains, which we'll talk about, but also just the restaurant space as a whole, which, as we know, over the past few years has just been very competitive, and it's been difficult for companies to grow same-store sales, let alone total revenue by opening new stores. But Domino's uh, domestic same-store sales up 6.9%. You'd be hard-pressed to find any other restaurant putting anything close to that uh, up. They have 4% international same-store sales, earnings per share up 35%. So, I wouldn't be worried if you're a Domino shareholder. So, is this this is just a matter of the bar being too high or unrealistic, you think? Uh, I, I mean, the stock's only down 2% today, and it's had, as you mentioned, an incredible run this year and then over the past Two, three, five, ten years. So, I, I, I don't think it's necessarily that expectations are too high. It's just you know the, the stock has done really well, and this was kind of business as usual. And for for a company with expectations as high as Domino's, sometimes business as usual is a little disappointing. But if you're a long-term investor like us at the Fool, there's no reason to be worried here. You know that old saying: "Pizza does not grow to the sky." Okay, <laughs> wait a minute. That's trees. That's trees. I, I was going to say. Yeah, I don't okay. think I've heard that one. I hadn't heard that. Okay. Well, I want to ask you about the longtime Domino's CEO, Patrick. Doyle, who just stepped down a few weeks ago. This guy is credited with really turning Domino's around. In terms of my proprietary Matt Greer Humility Index, <laughs> he scores very highly. I don't have his exact number, but he was the guy who came out and basically said, we hear you, we know you think our pizza tastes like cardboard, and what whether you think that or not, I think a lot of people agree that their marketing campaign was brilliant, and that he helped turn the company around. 
So going forward, how much does that concern you? That he's no longer there. Well, he said one of his goals was to leave the company in good shape for his successor. And in this case, you have a new CEO, Rich Allison. I think this was his first quarter, really, where he did have that CEO title. And I think it'll be something for investors to watch. But you look at the Foundation that Domino's has today. Uh, they have over 15,100 stores. Pizza Hut still has more locations worldwide. So, going forward over the next couple of years, Domino's shouldn't have a very difficult time opening more stores. And you want to continue to see existing stores perform well. So, we want to see that same store sales number continue to tick up. But you got to love the trajectory that the company is on. And I think Rich Allison, the new CEO, you know, he, he, I think he's in a good position to, to continue the momentum that Doyle th- put in place. I think the one thing to look out for for Domino's, because I mean, I agree. I think essentially he set this up so that going forward, the new CEO just don't change anything. Just keep doing what you're doing. Keep that ball rolling. Now, something that's completely out of their control is we know that with all of Papa John's woes, Pizza Hut is now the official pizza of the NFL. So we're going to see, I think, a lot more. Uh, Pizza Hut here in the coming months, towards the end of the year and the next year's football season kicks up. So it's just going to be something to watch here in the next few quarters to see if Pizza Hut doesn't have a little bit of a resurgence and potentially take maybe a little bit of share away from Domino's. Um, it's it's certainly a realistic possibility, but yeah, I think as long as Domino's doesn't just don't change anything, keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. Okay. Well, you mentioned Papa John's woes. Maybe <laughs> Papa John's should hire Patrick Doyle. There, there's a free idea for <laughs> you. you Turnaround specialist, consultant, Matt Greer. Because there like is it. there is a new twist in the Papa John's story. Last mm-hmm. week, founder John Schnatter resigned as chairman after admitting that he had used the N-word on a conference call. Well, guys, this week, Schnatter said it was a mistake to resign. He said the board's decision to remove him was based on, quote, rumor and innuendo. And, oh yeah, David, he owns 29% of the company's stock. And he's still sitting on the board. So, this is a little (laughs) bit awkward. And this morning, Forbes came out with an article called The Inside Story of Papa John's Toxic Culture, basically talking about a bro culture, big ego, uh, big ego, and just all sorts of uh, things that Schnatter has uh, been up to. And it's like, okay, that's supposed to happen in Silicon Valley, not in Louisville. <laughs> what, what are you doing, man? But uh, yeah, he's, he still owns 29% of the company. Uh, he's still plastered on the pizza boxes and the marketing, although that's really been pulled back. And then it's also come out uh, this week that Wendy's and uh, Papa John's, before all of this stuff came up over the past couple months, they're actually in talks to to merge, uh, have some sort of merger. So, going forward, if you're the board of directors at Papa John's, I think you have to really consider that possibility. Maybe the best step forward for the company is to look for a merger or a sale because, man, the, the, this just seems like a train wreck that keeps accelerating. Uh, and, and when you have Schnatter on the board, I guess you know he would have to uh, be in favor of uh, of a buyout or a merger uh, for it to go through. But the, also, Major League Baseball suspended their partnership with uh, Papa John's, so it's not just the NFL. The Papa John's name is coming off of the University of Louisville football stadium. So, wow. really is a train wreck here. They got to, uh, you know, figure out something quickly. And I think, to the board's credit, they have acted pretty quickly to remove, distance themselves uh, from Schnatter in terms of the marketing, the, the branding. But 
Papa John's, like John is still in the name, that the founder is still in the name. Is there a Papa John's bowl? I mean, you're talking about coming off the, the, the stadium. I mean, is there a bowl game? I think there is a Papa John's bowl. Isn't I'm there? not sure about that. No, I'm not, yeah. I would imagine that's probably uh, on, on the chopping block as well. Do you have to? Do you have to at some point change the name of the company, or is this one of those stories where, for the average buyer, if I'm looking at pizza and I like Papa John's pizza, as my kids do, it this story doesn't really matter that much? Or at some point, are they gonna have to change the name? I think longer term, they're probably okay with the name, especially when you're taking you know Schnatter off of the the marketing and the branding. I, I would think three years from now you'd be fine, especially if they do. Partner with someone like a Wendy's or some other restaurant chain. Right now, uh, Papa John's is valued. Their enterprise value is 2.3 billion dollars. Uh, Buffalo Wild Wings was bought for 2.9 billion dollars by Arby's. So it is in a reasonable ball- ballpark uh, for some sort of acquisition or merger. So I would look for something like that over the next year because I really think going forward as an independent company with Schnatter still owning almost <laughs> a third of the company and sitting on the board, that's just going to be a really tough uh, situation to navigate. And someone who I would Love to hear from on this. Who sits on Papa John's board of directors is Texas Roadhouse founder and CEO Kent Taylor, who is very much a straight shooter. Yes. As we know, we've interviewed him before. I would just love to hear his perspective because um, he also works in Louisville and I think he's he's been involved with Schnatter and Papa John's for a while. Would just be curious to get his perspective on everything that's going on with the company because now apparently with this Forbes article coming out. There's a lot of cultural and leadership issues at the company that didn't just pop up the past year or two. This has been going on for a long time. So I think it's important to note. It's important to note though too that for everything that's gone wrong here, and I think the best thing they can do is just get out of the headlines in one way, shape, or form. Don't let this thing just keep dragging out through the headlines. But for everything that's gone wrong, let's let's not dismiss the things that have gone right. I mean, they were very quick to build a robust mobile presence. It's very convenient, very easy. They make a Pretty good product, um, and so I think it would be very easy to get this thing just out of the headlines. Keep focusing on what works for them, and keep the business moving forward. The problems that they have are extremely fixable, right? Yeah. I mean, it sucks, but it's fixable. It would be different if it was like really bad pizza and a really bad app and a really bad brand. Right now, they've just got some identity problems. I Good think. business. I yeah. think you bring in a new Papa John. It's basically how yeah. Bewitched back in the day, Seinfeld <laughs> later on, they switched yeah. key actors between seasons. Yeah. And I think you bring someone new, and his name could be John, doesn't have to be, and you say, This is Papa John. Whatever it takes. Patrick Doyle whatever is Papa takes. John. <laughs> there, uh, Patrick Doyle joining. That, that would be awesome. <laughs> and I do agree with JMO. I, I think when you look at Papa John's, their issues are fixable, but what makes this different? From something like uh, a Chipotle or something is a leadership change alone probably isn't the, the only thing you need because Schnatter in this case still owns so much of the company, still has so much influence. So I, I, it'll be interesting to see how those dynamics play out. But that's why I'm a little less optimistic about their their opportunities going forward as an independent company because if you're trying to distance yourself from Schnatter, but he still has so much ownership and influence and control over the company, I, I just think that those are tough waters to navigate. And guys, let's switch gears here. Shares of American Express down on earnings. Jason, better than expected earnings here, but some concerns over revenue. Yeah, I mean, American Express recently, I think, has been lost in the conversation of modern day money moving. And I think a lot of that had to do with its brand identity growing up. For a long time, it has been a brand that's affiliated with. 
well-off people or bigger spenders, perhaps. And that part partly is is because of their closed-loop system. They have more control over the transaction from start to finish. And, and uh, because of that, they've been able to historically charge merchants more uh, in order to accept American Express. Now, the obvious question that comes from that is, if I'm a merchant, why would I bother paying more for American Express if I've got all of these other options out there? Customers are bringing Visa and MasterCard, and now PayPal and Square and whatever else. Uh, interesting, there was a lawsuit that tilted in American Express's favor here recently that basically prohibits merchants from incentivizing customers to use other cards. Uh, that gives American Express at least a little bit of a leg to stand on in charging those higher merchant fees. Uh, but again, I mean, I think that it's not a bad business, it's a good business. But I think when you look at it in the context of the other opportunities that are out there, Visa, Mastercard, those are bigger card, those are bigger bases. Square, PayPal, far more advanced on the tech front. PayPal is now a bigger company than American Express is, believe it or not. That that just came out of nowhere. Um, so it, it's not been the greatest investment to hold in the world. It's not a bad company. But if I'm looking in this space, I just don't think American Express is really at the top of, of uh, my my list. And when you look at the numbers here, David, interesting, higher spending by the consumers, by small businesses, and by corporate card members. But the kicker here is that those higher spending numbers were partially offset by an increase in the cost of rewards. So they're really having to do more to compete. And 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 I can see that because I am a happy, incredibly satisfied Chase Sapphire Reserve oh, card holder. Me I, as well. Yeah. I love that card. It's all about I love the that card. And you will Get that card. I mean, it would have to be my dead cold hands. Is that the Amazon Bef Prime card? No. Okay. Oh, come on, man. Well, it's a come Chase on. card. That's, like, I have, I, the, no, that's, that's, I have no. the Chase on, Amazon man. Prime card. Come I mean, I don't come even on. understand what you're come talking on. about. I mean, it's is like, that is that is that like your child's credit card, or I don't know. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Sheesh. But I, I think you make a good point. There I'm just kidding. The Chase Sapphire Reserve card is incredible. Incredible travel rewards, and that's why I use it because I transfer it to Southwest and United and all that good stuff. Gotcha. Yeah. And I mean, the Amazon card's similar in that, like, you just get these cash. Back rewards for Amazon. And given that we already spend so much money on Amazon's platform anyway, it's very convenient. But but what I was gonna say, I've been I got an email from American Express recently, and they were congratulating me for being a cardholder for 10 years now. And I thought, hey, wow, that was thoughtful. But you know what I noticed in the past couple of years when I got that Amazon Prime card, my spending on my American Express card has curtailed significantly. Interesting. Now, now the rub here is because I've had that card open for 10 years, and I've got a good credit credit record, if I close it, that's not really a net win for me on the credit score side. So, I'll keep it open. It's nice to have. But there's no question that my spending has diminished considerably on that, and much more of my spending now goes to that, that Chase Visa. And I'm sorry I talk trash about your Amazon Prime card. I know people love it. I know people love the Amazon card. Why not have I just, both? I know. I just get a little enthusiastic about the Chase Sapphire Reserve card. I appreciate your enthusiasm. Is that a Costco card, by the way? Well, it's, it's interesting that you ask, because now, Yes, I can use it at Costco because they don't have their Amex deal anymore. Yep. So it's oh, just yeah. one more reason. There you go. Can you use any Visa at Costco? Is that the way? Yeah, um, I think so. I think yeah, yeah that was the straight-up Visa agreement. Was I mean, so, that was really opened up. I think the floodgates for Costco is before the only card you could use was. Do you guys Express spend cash? Like, like, do you spend paper cash at all? No. Very rarely. Very rarely. Very rarely. Like, I don't yeah. think our kids are gonna know like what it is. 
Yeah. Our kids do not carry cash around with them, really. I mean, whatever they get, it either uh, part of it goes into their investment account, part of it goes into savings account. They have you know a little uh, wallet at home that they keep a little bit of spare change in, but nothing. Much. Can your kids talk about the war on cash basket? I imagine that that's a you know big conversation. They, they can tell Every you. Are why. they conversant? Do they <laughs> talk like PayPal, Square? Every night at the dinner table. <laughs> that, that so, is, Daddy, how's the war on cash basket doing? That is one of the stocks on their radar. <laughs> well, Mac, it's interesting going back to the the higher expenses related to credit card rewards, that that has become such a competitive um, element for Visa, MasterCard, and American Express, because you and I are happy Chase Sapphire Reserve customers. I think a year or two ago, their sign-up bonus was 100,000 points, which basically works out to two or three grand. Amazing. Not cheap. Yeah. Um, So, American Express has had to ramp up the rewards in an effort to compete against the the Sapphire Reserve card. And it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. And at this point, American Express is still the biggest of the three of Amex, Visa, MasterCard in terms of free cash flow production, but they also have the slowest revenue growth. So at this point, you look at Visa, MasterCard uh, growing much faster. They tend to appeal more to a younger audience than Amex. So Amex is really having to uh, find some ways to appeal to a younger audience, but in doing so, um, their expenses are rising because they need to offer more compelling rewards to compete with those Visa and MasterCard offerings. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. A couple of points just to note with American Express, too. American Express is a bank holding company, so it is going to be beholden to those bank capital ratios that Visa and MasterCard are not. Just it's a little not a bad thing or a good thing. It's just a different business. Uh, I also I feel like we're in this space where. The the costs of these services are coming down. I think American Express is going to have a tougher time proving their case that they should be charging merchants more. I just don't think merchants are going to be as open minded to paying more to take to accept American Express when they can uh, accept other cards, other payment forms for less. Okay, guys, let's talk some eBay. A rough day for eBay shares down around nine percent at the time of our taping. Um, Jason, let's look at the numbers here. We've got disappointing full-year guidance and disappointing revenue. Um, eBay blaming the strength the strengthening U.S. dollar, which it says is hurting international sales. Oh yeah, that, um, that's the reason. International sales <laughs> <what> did it. <laughs> account for almost sixty percent of eBay's business. Sure, yeah, I think eBay. Jeez, uh, you know, it's in, it's in a really tricky situation where. It's not really that it's a bad business per se. It it's a decent business, but it's really hard to come up with a compelling reason why anybody should invest in it. So it's and not the strong dollar. I would not That's say That's not the big problem. I would not be looking to that. <laughs> if the dollar was a little weaker. It would be all about it. When you talk about the problems that they need to solve, that's not really one of them. And I think a lot of this is really just summed up in a chart we saw on eMarketer the other day that was talking about the top 10 U.S. companies ranked by retail e commerce sales share in 2018. Amazon is now at 49.1% market share there. And the next closest competitor, the closest competitor to Amazon, is eBay. Now, the bad news is. That's six point six percent, forty nine point one percent versus six point six percent, and then you keep on going down the line, and you see I, the biggest surprise to me was Wayfair at one point one percent, and you see what Wayfair has done as a stock over the past year has yep. been phenomenal, and I think there's good reason for that. I've certainly used Wayfair more than more than eBay's. I think that eBay's just kind of getting lost in the shuffle here. They're not doing any one thing really well, and the StubHub acquisition is just meh. You know, it's not really producing any meaningful uh, top line growth for the company. So I just 
I look at it and quarter and quarter out, I'm just like, eh. it was really a shame that they unloaded PayPal because that was really that was the crown jewel of that company, in my opinion. Yeah, the, the capital allocation here is really baffling to me because what stuck out to me in the press release is that they're selling their $1.1 billion stake in Flipkart, which is one of the larger e-commerce platforms in India. And you compare that to October 2016, when they sold their 18% or so stake in Mercado Libre. Since that time in 2016, Mercado Libre has more than doubled. And to me, what would be an interesting angle for eBay is if they were investing in these different brands internationally, rather than trying to go it alone like they've kind of done in the U.S. To me, it would be more appealing if they did have some partnerships and stakes in some of these up-and-coming e-commerce platforms in Latin America and India. But instead, they're selling it off. They're trying to go it alone, which to me, then you're competing directly against Amazon and these local players. I don't. Have a whole lot of confidence that eBay can make a better standalone platform because it's not really working even here in the US. And within the US, I feel like they could go after an Etsy or a Wayfair and really bolster their uh, e commerce platform and do something different from what uh, Amazon or some of these other players are doing. So, from a capital allocation perspective, getting rid of PayPal, selling off uh, Mercado Libre, now selling off Flipkart just makes me really wonder what the long term strategy is here because I don't see how this. Wins against Amazon or some of these other local players long term. It sounds like the long term strategy might be for the U.S. dollar to weaken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> Currency effects is a strategy. Okay, guys. Well, thanks to Harry's again for supporting Market Foolery. Now, Harry's founders were fed up with overpaying for expensive razors with unnecessary features, so they came up with a better way by selling directly to you over the internet. Harry's can offer their blades at a price much lower than the leading brand. And guys, when I use my Harry's blade, I'm just struck by how close of a shave it is, how wonderful it is. Jason Moser, I know you'd love you some Harry's. I'm a big fan. I didn't shave this morning, Mac, but if I did, it would have been with my Harry's razor. And that that's a subscription I, I, I don't know that I can live without at this point. Well, Harry's knows that switching razors is not an easy decision. It's not a decision that people take lightly. So Harry's has a special trial offer for Motley Fool and for Market Foolery listeners. And here's what you get with this trial offer. It's a $13 value. You get a weighted ergonomic handle, five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade. You get rich lathering shave gel and a travel blade cover. That is awesome. Some serious bang for your buck. Some serious bang for your buck. Listeners of Market Foolery can redeem their trial set at harrys.com fool. Make sure you go to harrys.com fool to redeem your offer and let them know I sent you to help support the show. Okay, guys, as we wrap up, we had our Motley Fool quarterly board meeting yesterday, and I have it on good source. I have I have some people out there that have told me, <laughs> or maybe some people in this room, some that have insiders. told me that you had an opportunity to pitch some of your favorite stocks to our board of directors. So I want to kind of recreate that magic, because <laughs> most of us were not there at the board meeting. And Jason Moser, I want to first of all hear what your stock was, and then maybe give the quick pitch. Sure, yeah. Well, I had to bring the heat this time around because we did it again. Uh, we did it a quarter ago, and, and yep. I pitched Teladoc, so I set the bar high given where that stock is. is you mentioned Teladoc almost as much as I mentioned Costco. Is that maybe fair? Maybe there's an advertising partnership there. Yes, I think that is fair. Because this is the first is time fair. I mentioned Costco on this that show. Is this is probably the latest I've gone and into I a market foolery. I prompted you mentioning Costco too, if I'm not mistaken. Mm, so really, yeah. you yeah. didn't do it. I pushed you to do no, it. No, it's okay. 
is everything. I'm still feeling bad that I ripped on your Amazon card. I'm sorry. I, I'm sure it's a great card. Bezos I'm sure. become an app. No, I know. Believe me, I know. That's what I'm really afraid of. <laughs> this time around, I went with a a name. I think a lot of our listeners will be very familiar with Ameris Bancorp, uh, little small cap bank down in southwest Georgia, Moultrie, Georgia, where my mom and dad live. And this is a bank I you know, I discovered uh this as a stock, I was I was looking at it back in late 2010 when the financial crisis was really uh, taking it taking it to town on a lot of these little banks. And Ameris, uh, it be, became very clear Ameris Bank Corp was sort of a baby being thrown out with the bathwater. A very well managed bank, small community bank, but the FDIC found them as a partner uh, to, to to help roll up a lot of these failed institutions with basically risk free acquisitions. And so ultimately, what that ended up doing is it took the took the bank from a total uh, base of assets around two and a half billion. Back in 2010, they're going to close out this year with close to 12 billion in total assets. And and you know one one way to value banks is based on return on assets. And so they've been very good at consistently displaying good return on assets here year in and year out. And so I think we're entering a stretch where it's going to be very favorable for banks as interest rates continue to rise. They're going to be able to make a little bit more more money on that net interest income line and continue to do smart lending. Uh, with a community focus, I think that Ameris Bank or ticker ABCB still has plenty of room to run. Okay, David Kretzman. All right. Well, I'm going with Namaste Technologies. This is a small cap Canadian company. This is a cannabis e-commerce company. They have 32 websites in 20 countries. They mainly sell vaporizers, hardware, and other accessories. They're not actually selling the plant or oils. Uh, yet, but they have uh, worldwide one half million registered users, six hundred thousand monthly visitors to all of their different sites around the world. Uh, I like the fact that the two co-founders are still with the company. They own about five percent, and something that really stuck out to me is two board members that they have. They have the product manager at Google's Waymo, and they have the former ten-year CIO at SpaceX, basically Elon Musk's right-hand man. So these two heavy hitters in the tech space of all companies, they they chose to to join and. Be on the board of. They chose this four hundred million dollar Canadian cannabis e-commerce company. So I think, oh, that's that's noteworthy. Um, if nothing else, uh, the balance sheet is pretty strong. They have uh, over fifty million dollars in net cash. They they are still unprofitable and burning cash right now. So this is definitely still on the riskier side of the spectrum. But looking at this emerging uh, cannabis opportunity worldwide. I like the fact that they already have some some traction with one and a half million registered users. Also, earlier this year in Canada, they launched the Namaste MD app. So this is really a telemedicine app. We were talking about Teladoc earlier. What Namaste MD does, it's an app you can download, you know, on your Apple or Android device, and you can have a free virtual consultation with a licensed healthcare professional. So rather than going to a brick and mortar clinic in an attempt to get a medical Cannabis prescription, where you're not necessarily sure if the doctor even likes medical cannabis or will give you a prescription. Instead, you can do this virtual consultation, get your prescription online in just a matter of minutes, and then from there you can go fulfill your prescription online through one of Namaste's licensed producer partners. So, a riskier company, but I think you know, in the grand scheme of things, with this cannabis 
uh, category. This is an interesting one to keep an eye on. Okay, well, I want to give a shameless plug. Now that you mentioned cannabis, <laughs> on, I never thought I'd find this connection here. But on this week's Rule Breaker Investing with David Gardner, we did kind of a blast from the past sort of episode. So if you've heard the podcast before, um, there have been a couple of times where we've gone back. Tom and David Gardner used to host um, a radio show, and we go back to some of our favorite interviews and play some of those clips. And one of the clips is from Cheech Marin, who's half of the long-term comedy duo Cheech and Chong, known for a lot of his voiceover work, but also known for the for the movie Up in Smoke, and known for probably talking a lot about cannabis and marijuana. And in 2002, we asked him, basically, about marijuana, and it was a buy, sell, hold. Buy, sell, hold, the legalization of marijuana. And I won't give it away, but I will say Cheech was incredibly prescient. He, he called it, he saw the future before it happened. But you're not going to give it away. I don't want to give it away, but I think I just gave it away. <laughs> and how, how did he see the future? I wonder if it was a substance he was using. Perhaps. That's, 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 I yes, that's, maybe he used, maybe he was an investor in that. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? So, so that's a shout out. And, and there are a lot of other great clips on Rule Breaker Investing. We reflect back on an early Howard Schultz interview from Starbucks, um, Billie Jean King, um, Bob Geldof, humanitarian, member of the Boomtown Rats, some great stuff. So, Give Rule Breaker Investing a listen um, when you get a chance. And guys, um, as always, our listeners, our wonderful, incredible listeners, can email us here at marketfoolery at fool.com with their questions, with their comments. And Jason, sometimes they're not just emailing us. Nope. Sometimes they are just going above and beyond and sending us what they do so well. So I want to give a quick thanks to Adib at Cafe Hannah in Scotts Valley, California. He went through the trouble of actually packaging up some of his proprietary hot sauce to send me. He knew, he knows from listening that I'm a cook, that I like to cook, that I like trying new things with food. He went through the trouble to get me some of his famous hot sauce and that stuff was just so good. If I'm ever out that way, I, you can rest assured I'm going to give his restaurant a shot. It looks like a Greek fusion restaurant. The menu looks amazing. So, uh, Deep, thank you very much. We appreciate it. Strong by Barry. Okay. Well, guys, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. As always, thanks for listening to the show. Chris Hill will be back in the saddle next Monday. I Ooh. really appreciate. Yes, oh. Chris is back. He still works here. So yes. So okay. just just hold off on any angry emails. <laughs> yeah. you, you don't have to worry. Um, Chris will be back on Monday. But thanks as always for listening. As always, people on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Matt Greer. Thanks for listening, and we will see you on Monday.